Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 8 of Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to be reading verses 7 and 8. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Jehovah God amongst the trees of the garden. I'll stop there. Now, we were looking at the last part of verse 7. We saw how sowing fig leaves together identified with the covering of sin, and especially with those within the corporate body, Israel of old, or the churches of the New Testament, the people that profess to be of God, the people of God, they use their identification with the Word of God and with God Himself, which is what the fig tree or the fig leaf represents. They identify with the kingdom of heaven. They are God's representatives. And therefore, they attempt to use that identification as a cover for their sin. And the word sowed and, and fig leaves points to that. Although it's uh, ineffective, it's a failure, because it says there's fig leaves. And when we read of leaves of the fig tree, when Jesus came to the fig tree and he found leaves only, no fruit, that was an indication that there was no salvation. There was no one being saved. And so uh, these people who have done this, and many have done this. Many have thought that through their association with the sacrifices of the Old Testament, because they were of Israel, and the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies once a year and on the Day of Atonement and, and make the offering, that this somehow absolved them and cleansed them of sin. It completely wrong, completely erroneous. Or those that believe, and many have over the course of almost 2,000 years of the church age, that through membership in a church or a congregation, because the priest or, or the bishop or the pastor says that they have done the necessary things insofar as entering into heaven, whatever it be, whatever um, they have been told they must do from being baptized as an infant to accepting Christ and saying the sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter. The whole spectrum of acts or of works, uh, uh, none of it is of any good when it comes to truly being born again and entering into heaven. But they are, through their association, their identification with the church, and and a misunderstanding of what that means, they think that those fig leaves 
the, there's no real fruit, there's no real salvation, but they think that, that the fig leaves themselves will be their covering. And no, no, uh, it, it didn't work for Adam and Eve. That was not a proper covering for their nakedness. God had to cover them with animal skins. And it has never worked for anyone within the corporate body. Outward identification with God's kingdom is not salvation. And, and so, um, keeping ceremonial laws of sacrifice or of baptism in the Lord's table is not salvation. Salvation comes through God's action and never through the action that men take. There, there's just no getting around that. Well, okay, here in Genesis 3, 7, they sowed fig leaves together and this produced aprons and made themselves aprons. The word aprons is Strong's number 2290 in the Hebrew. It's found six times in the Old Testament. Four times it's translated as girdle or gird. One time as armor, and one time here in Genesis as apron. It's used in relationship to battle in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and in his shoes that were on his feet. The word girdle. The blood of war upon his girdle, upon his loins. In Second Kings chapter 3, verse 21, it's translated as armor. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood on the border. There are their soldiers about to do battle, and so it's properly translated as armor. In Second Samuel chapter 20, this same word is used in verse 8. Of Second Samuel 20. And it says, When they were at the great stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them, and Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him, and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins in the sheath thereof. And as he went forth, it fell out. The word girdle, where he fastened his sword upon his loins in the sheath. And this was all upon the girdle. So again, it's part of armor. It's part of um, weaponry. In the New Testament, since we've seen twice that this word has been related to loins, the girdle upon his loins, In the New Testament, God speaks of the armor of God in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And he says in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, 
they may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The armor of God, every piece, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the breastplate of righteousness. He is truth that is girt about the loins. He is the shield of faith, or he is the sword of the Spirit. He is the helmet of salvation. Every bit of armor points to Jesus, and all of the armor equips, the child of God equips one that God has saved. It is the armor of protection that comes with salvation. If someone is not saved, let's put it this way, if someone is a professed Christian, they're a Christian uh, that's a member of a church, of the corporate body, but they're not saved. Do they have the armor of God? Do they have any peace of the armor of God? Is it that they're just lacking, when they're not saved, one or two pieces? No, they are lacking all the armor of God. If someone is saved, they possess all the armor. If someone is not saved, they lack all of the armor, every piece of it. And so every part of the armor of God identifies with salvation. And so when um, Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together, we already know from Job 31 verse 33, they were attempting to cover their transgression. And through this action, they were covering their nakedness, but God says, um, he, he makes reference to covering transgression as Adam. And, and that's what was involved here when they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons or girdles or armor. The, uh, that word's also translated as armor one time. They, they tried to make themselves salvation to make that covering that would protect them and and keep them from being destroyed, keep them from death. But, of course, they failed. Uh, no one can get themselves saved. No one can uh, protect themselves from the wrath of God. Uh, no religion can do that. No philosophy can do that. No individual's power or might. There's none that has power in the day of death. We read in Ecclesiastes. No one can win over God when it comes to their sin. Their sin certainly isn't going to help them or assist them to overcome. No, there, there is no winning that war. There's no salvation that man can produce of his own doing, of his own ability, no matter how hard and and how often he attempts it. And men do uh, quite a lot of things to try and get themselves saved, yet they're never successful. They're never able to accomplish it. And And this is all futile. It's all vanity. It's all emptiness. And it's the same with all the religions of the world, all throughout the history of time. It's the same with all other Gospels of the Bible. 
that are attempting to provide salvation for themselves and for others, it won't work. It cannot work. There is no true salvation through those kinds of means in any way. All right, let's go on to verse 8 of Genesis 3. And they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, uh, and so forth. And Adam and his wife hid themselves when they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in, in the garden. The first thing that stands out is that this is the voice of Jehovah that is said to be walking. Have you ever seen a voice walking in a garden or anywhere else? Um, if you speak or or hear someone speak, do you see that person's voice walking along? No. Yet that's the language here that Adam and Eve heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden. They didn't hear God uh, walking. God's a spirit. And and so God doesn't have legs. He, he didn't enter into the human race as yet. Yes, at times God would appear as a theophany, but God is a spirit. And it doesn't say here about a body or anything like that. Only the voice is heard, and the voice is heard to be walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And we wonder, why does God put it that way? Why does he refer to his voice as doing the walking? Well, let's look at the idea of walking. Walking um, in the Bible, God has some interesting things to say about it. For instance, in Genesis chapter 5, we read of Enoch, and it says in verse 22, And Enoch walked with God. And then in verse 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That was when Enoch was 365 years old. He was translated. He was raptured. Enoch did not die physically. God, for his own purposes, to paint a picture a spiritual picture, waited until Enoch, who was a true child of God, had lived to the age of 365, because obviously that identifies with a year, and and God wanted to illustrate that at the end of a year there is a rapture. And and so Enoch walked with God, and, and then at that age, God took him. You, you wouldn't have found him, just like later, some prophets or sons of the prophets wanted to search for uh, Elijah when God took him in a similar way. And and they did search. Elisha permitted them because they just kept insisting. And they searched and searched and were not able to find him. Well, it's the same with Enoch. Well, then in Genesis 6, we read of Noah... In verse 8, that Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. And then it says in verse 9 of Genesis 6, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Now, this means that Noah, during his lifetime, walked with God. 
And same as Enoch, during his lifetime, he walked with God. And they're both saved men. And since it says that Noah walked with God, that means God was walking with Noah. Noah wasn't walking alone. He was walking with someone, God. So we see in the garden, God is walking, or the voice of God was walking in the garden. And in the case of these two men, Enoch and Noah, God walked with them. Well, what what does the Bible have in view with this language of walking? If we go to the New Testament, we find um, several references to walking that help us in our understanding. And we'll read a few of them in Galatians 5.16. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That is, walk in good works. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So we, we could find many similar references. Walk in the spirit, walk in good works, walk in him, Christ. It says in 1 John chapter 2, in 1 John 2, in verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked, and that's making reference to Jesus, that if we say we abide in Christ, we should walk as he walked. And that's telling us that Jesus walked, and Jesus is God, so there is God walking. And the references to walking in the Bible, really most of them, I won't say every time we read the word walk, but most of them, Relate to walking in God's commandments. Walk in truth, we read in, in Second John. And walk in the statutes. Walk in the commandments of God. This is why when someone could not walk in the gospel accounts, when uh, there was a lame man or, or someone unable to walk and Jesus healed them, and then they they were able to walk. It's a picture of salvation because man has an inability to walk in the commandments of God since the fall, going back to the garden, since the fall into sin, mankind can no longer walk in God's commandments unless God provides salvation. And then God gives a new heart and a new spirit restores that right relationship, and man now can walk and leap even and run the way of God's commandments after salvation, after receiving the heart equipped and capable of performing the keeping of the law, of being able to obey God's commandments. 
And it's the same thing with God himself. Jesus, it says here in 1 John 2, 6, walked. We are called upon to walk even as he walked. And how did Jesus walk? Well, the Father sent him into the world to do his will. And the Lord Jesus Christ obediently performed the will of the Father, perfectly performed the will of the Father. Uh, He was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross, even a despised and shameful death. Christ was obedient. He walked in the commandments of the Father, of God, without um, error, without fail. He walked in the commandments of the Lord perfectly. We are called to do the same. Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, it says in Matthew 5.48. We are to um, have a perfect walk. Of course, we we uh, cannot do that in our flesh, but in the heart that God has given us, there is no more sin. The, the sin is not found there. It's a perfect heart, and and we're able to walk perfectly in the commandments of God. So God, in the person of the Lord Jesus, walked in his own commandments. Remember that very insightful verse in the Psalms, in Psalm 138, that helps us to understand the importance of God maintaining, keeping, obeying His own word, His own law. God doesn't give us the law, the creature, and say, well, I'm above the law, I'm above my own word, and I I don't have to keep it. But But you creatures created in my image, you're required to keep it. God doesn't do that. And we can be very thankful that he doesn't because that means the law of God that instructs us, that that dictates to us and says that you cannot divorce is the same law that God is under. And therefore it uh, tells us that God cannot break his own law and divorce us at some point in eternity future because we have become his bride and and he has granted us eternal life and he said I'll never leave nor forsake thee I'll never divorce you and and so since God is under that law it is a tremendous source of comfort to the people of God and God is under his own law it says in Psalm 138 in verse 2 I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God is not above his word, his law, but his word is above his name. His law is above his name. And therefore, he submits to it. And we see that in actuality with the Lord Jesus, as he walked in the commandments of the Father. He walked in the Word. And we are to walk as He walked. He has given us the example. We are to keep the law of God as Jesus kept the law of God. And so God's Word is magnified above all His name. 
Now, when we come to Adam and Eve in the garden, from the point of creation, when they were created in the image and likeness of God, they were to walk with God. They were to be as Enoch and be as as Noah and be as all those that God would save in later generations because there was no sin to separate between them and God and and therefore in their obedience to God's command concerning that tree as that was the only law that, that God had given thou shall not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They walked with God. Every day they obeyed God. They walked in His commandments along with God. But now comes the point when they have disobeyed. They have broken the law of God. And they are no longer walking in God's commandments. Notice they're no longer walking with God. Again, here it is. They've just sinned. They're actively uh, involved in, in making their own covering for their nakedness. And then in verse 8, they heard the voice. And what would the voice of God identify with? The word of God, the law of God. They heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife walked along with the voice of Jehovah God in the garden. No, no. It says, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Jehovah God amongst the trees of the garden. They are no longer walking with God. They they are refusing to walk with God. Actually, it's an inability. They cannot walk with God now. Because in order to walk with God, you have to walk in the Spirit. You have to walk in Him. You have to walk in truth and walk in His commandments and so forth. And they, they've brought death to themselves. They've separated from God. They, they no longer have the Spirit. They, uh, are alienated from God. So God is walking though. Now that's something for us to really think about. Here, man, the only man that exists at this time, has broken relationship with God, is no longer walking in God's commandments, but God continues himself to walk in his own word, is really what's being highlighted here, as they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking Where is he walking? Where is the voice of God walk? It walks within the commandments of God as God's word has been magnified above his name. And so God continues to be faithful. God continues to be obedient in submission to all his commandments. That's the point that God is making. Man may fail. Man may sin. Man may break the law of God, but I never will. I cannot sin or lie or or do anything. It's an impossibility. I will continue to maintain faithfulness and 
and uh, continue to walk within under my own law. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.